0: If you would please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the same translation that Pastor West will be preaching from. Hear then what the Spirit is saying to this church. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he would answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? May God bless to our understanding this reading from His Holy Word.
1: Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do ask that uh, you would add your blessing to this reading. And to the proclamation of your word, I pray that uh, we would see the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be exalted in our hearts as we embrace him by faith. We ask in his name, amen. Uh, One day last year, I came home and I walked into our kitchen, and as I approached the window, I could see a pair of feet flopping around in the air. It, I guess it would look like this. So, but the, the feet just weren't standing still. They were moving all over the place. It was the oddest thing. I'm scratching my head. What in the world is going on? Well, some of you may remember that uh, we had Lisa and Isabella, uh, my, wa- my cousin's wife's sister and her daughter, Um. I think that was the hardest part of the sermon. No, that's it. (laughs) Um, They were living in our home for eight months. They moved down from Georgia in order that Isabella, the daughter, could go to a specific gym here in Tampa because she is an elite gymnast. And so Isabella was doing laps around our pool by walking on her hands. Uh, Isabella... And her mom uh, left their home, moved down here to Tampa for eight months just for gymnastics. Isabella is very dedicated to become, becoming the best gymnast that she can be. She hopes to, to go to either Georgia or Colorado, the two top uh, gymnastics universities uh, here in the United States. Uh, her schooling... Her diet, even her friendships are all shaped around her dedication to gymnastics. I mentioned Isabella's uh, dedication to gymnastics because Jesus is teaching us here in this passage about dedication um, to our prayer request uh, in this passage. I'm convinced that one of the greatest hindrances to our Christian life and our thriving in the Christian life is the lack is our lack of dedication when it comes to prayer. Instead of our prayers displaying persistent dedication, our efforts in prayer too often appear to be trifling as if our prayer requests are insignificant or unimportant. Our private prayers can tend to be lazy and lethargic, so much so that sometimes we can struggle to stay awake while we're praying. Uh, Or we fail to get up in the morning early enough to start our day in prayer. Well, I slept through the time that I should have been praying and then we don't get around to it because we have so many other things in our life that are so important, I just can't stop to pray. We struggle to keep a consistent and dedicated prayer life, and then when we do pray, sadly, we often trifle at it. In verses 1 through 4, Jesus taught us what we should pray for. And in verses 5 through 13, he is teaching us how we should pray. So look at the, verse, the first word in verse 5. This first word, not a very profound word. In the Greek, it's the word chi. We translate it, the word and. And this and is, um, is significant. In other words, Jesus is continuing to to teach his disciples to pray in response to their request. Remember the request? Verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he taught them in the Lord's Prayer what to pray now In these parables, in verses 5 through 13, he's going to teach us how we should pray. First thing we're going to learn is that we are to pray with bold persistence. Jesus uses this parable to teach us how to pray with bold persistence. Now, to understand the parable, it will help us to to know the cultural context. In the ancient Near East, hospitality was a sacred duty. In fact, we saw some of that at the end of Luke chapter 10 when uh, Martha was so distressed because she was not able to show proper hospitality to Jesus and his disciples that she came up and rebuked Jesus, saying, you tell Mary that she has to help me. Hospitality was a big deal in the ancient Near East. And in some um, corners of our society, it is also a very big deal. If you've got the gift of hospitality, I'm sure it is a very big deal to you to be able to show the proper hospitality because in so doing so, you're showing love and respect and care for the persons to whom you are showing the hospitality. So anyway, um, verse 5, He said to them, Which of you has a friend? Uh, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me and in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So, in the ancient Near East, when a guest arrived, there was this obligation to provide a meal. Travel was hard in the ancient Near East. There were no truck stops. There were no convenience stores. Uh, Travelers usually arrived uh, hot, tired, and hungry. In Jesus' parable, this traveler arrived at his friend's house late at night. How late? We don't know. Probably past midnight. And there were no refrigerators or indoor stoves, so there, was, there were no leftovers that could easily be placed in front of the traveler. And apparently, um, at the evening meal, they had eaten all the bread because there was no bread left over. So this traveler's, traveler's friend was unable to provide this sacred hospitality. And the sense of obligation was so great that he walked next door and started banging on his neighbor's door in the middle of the night. How would you feel if your neighbor woke you up at midnight or two in the morning asking you for a favor? Well, you might respond like the guy here in this passage. Verse 7 Um. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, the issue was that he could not help. Uh, The guy had bread uh, inside his house. I think the issue was that he would not help. But this man, with this obligation to show hospitality to this traveler who had come to his home, he would not stop banging on his door. He was irritating. He was without shame. The guy says no, and he persists in knocking. And so in verse 8, Jesus concludes this parable saying, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend... Yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs, just to shut him up. Is the implied um, is the implied uh, rest of the sentence? The word impudence is the key word in this parable. If, if those of you who have the NIV, is translated persistence. I think it's a little bit stronger than the word persistence uh, in the original. I think it means more like a shameless persistence or a bold persistence, or as ESV has it, impudence. Uh, The person waking up his neighbor to ask for bread has no shame. He will not stop banging on the door in the middle of the night until he gets his bread so he can feed this traveler Who has come to his house. And so, this is how Jesus is teaching us to pray. There must be a shameless, bold persistence on our part. We must be unstoppable when it comes to the promises that God has made to us. Now, please don't think that I'm saying that God is grouchy and that we need to wake him up in the middle of the night to to answer our prayers. Rather, Jesus is teaching us that our prayers should be heartfelt. They should be earnest. We shouldn't just go through the motions and mouth our request. And if we don't see an answer, then we should keep on praying, keep on asking with increasing intensity. And Jesus drives this point home in verses 9 and 10. He says, verse 9, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. To ask implies that we need assistance. To seek kicks it up a notch. You're not just asking, but you're expending energy. You get up and you look around for help. You're seeking out help. And then to knock is connected with the bold shamelessness of the man waking up his neighbor in the middle of the night by banging repeatedly on his door. And Jesus is saying, we're to ask, we're to seek, and we're to knock shamelessly and boldly until that door is opened. Unless God says no. Why does Jesus want us to pray these heartfelt and earnest prayers? Why why does He not just answer our prayers immediately right after we say amen? Sometimes He does. But it's not often. Why does he make us plead rather than simply ask? Well, prayer is an exercise of our faith. Prayer is taking hold of God and all his promises and holding on to them for dear life. Remember Jacob as he's wrestling with the angel? I'm not going to let go of you until you give me my blessing. Or Hannah. Praying for years on end. God, give me a child. And when Eli peeked in and saw her, he thought she was a crazy person, the way she was praying so earnestly. And we could go on, uh, example after example. Daniel prayed for nearly 70 years. Lord, return your people to the promised land. And so we read of our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus prayed this way. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death And he was heard because of his reverence. If Jesus exercised such faith in prayer, should we not also be earnest in our faith as we approach God with our prayers and our requests? God wants us to grow in our faith. Now, Jesus, he had a strong faith. (laughs) um, And he exercised faith. We have a weak faith, and we need to be trained in our faith. We need to grow stronger and stronger and stronger because we are weak, we are sinful, we are often self-centered. And so God might hold off on an answer in order that we might grow in our awareness of our need for Him. And it may be that there are deficiencies in our uh, faith or in our life, That God wants to purify away or prune uh, from our life. For instance, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And you'll hear what I'm, the, the sub point here that I'm making is that there are prayers that God says He will not answer. He will not answer for our good, for our growth in grace. I mean, just think: what if God answered our every prayer that we uttered thoughtlessly before God? What kind of mess we would make in our lives if God gave us every desire and every request? You know, God, give me more money. God, give me a new car. You know, um, and so James chapter one verses 5 through 8, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." And God might withhold answering that prayer in order that he might, um, through uh, the need that that person has, they might finally trust in the Lord more deeply. This could be a Christian. Have any of you prayed with a wavering faith? I have. And so God might be teaching you to ground yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true rock, so that the storms of life, you won't be tossed by here and there by the waves of the sea. And as you ask for wisdom, or ask for perseverance, or ask to be delivered from uh, temptation, or to ask for your daily bread, you might not just get the answer to the prayer, but you grow in your faith as well. Or again, James chapter four verses two and three, we read, "You do not have because you do not ask." We're missing out on blessings if we don't ask. And James continues, "And you do not, and you you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions." If we are asked, if God's giving us everything we, we ask for willy-nilly without con- concern for our souls, God would be shepherding us into hell if he gave us all of our sinful uh, desires. And we would not learn to trust in him. Or Psalm 66, verse 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The Lord might uh, n- not answer your prayers in order that you might grow in holiness, in order that you might repent of some sin that you are cherishing in your heart. God is not obligated to act just because we mouth some some words in His direction. Prayer is not magic. There's a relational aspect of prayer that we must not overlook. God wants us to grow closer to Him and to trust Him more as we pray. So He's not going to answer our prayers that do not move us closer to Him. God is our loving Father, our loving Heavenly Father, and He rejoices to bless us. The point of this parable is, Is that He's not like the grumpy neighbor who does not want to get out of bed. God delights. He delights that we come to Him even in the most inconvenient hour. Unconvenient, sorry about that. Inconvenient hour. He invites us to take all our burdens, all our cares, and then just dump them at His feet daily. Lord, Give me my bread daily. Lord, forgive me my sins as I forgive my neighbor every time I sin. Lord, deliver me from all my temptations. And we just dump our stuff in his lap, and he delights that we come to him and ask him for help. But because prayer is relational, he doesn't want us to simply just mouth off our needs. I like having a prayer list. I need a prayer list. But if I just go down, oh, Lord, um, I want to finish my praying in the next two minutes, and I just list every every little item, that's not what God is, is asking for. He wants us to boldly persist in our prayers. He wants us to exercise in overcoming faith. He doesn't want us to give up too quickly if if we don't see an answer. Uh, I, I quoted the Puritan Thomas Brooks, God hears no more than the heart speaks and if the heart be dumb God will certainly be deaf. He wants us to to lean upon him in prayer. He wants us to to trust in Him with all our heart as we bring our prayers and requests to Him. And He doesn't want us to give up too quickly if we don't see an answer. Leon Morris, uh, the great commentator, says this, If we do not want what we ask for enough to be persistent in our prayers, then we don't really want it that much. God wants us to desire Him as we seek all his blessings. Uh, He wants wants us to desire him so badly that we persist in seeking him even if he delays that answer. So when Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, to knock in verse 9, first of all, I want you to know he's given us a command. These are imperatives. He's not saying, if you feel like it, Pray boldly, persistently. You know, it's okay if you only ask once. No, he is saying, ask, seek, knock. He is commanding you to pray this way. And these commands are in the present tense. An imperative in the present tense for a little short Greek lesson means that the action that is commanded is to be continual. In other words, literally, Jesus is telling us to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. If we only pray when we feel like it, or we pray lethargically and mindlessly, without really engaging in God, we are not obeying Jesus when he tells us to keep on keeping on in prayer. I grew up in Georgia um, on 11 acres of land. We had a pond about an acre. Then there was our house, a little less than an acre. And then we had some woods, maybe an acre or two of woods. Most of it was grass. It was pasture grass. Um, And each summer, beginning when I was 12, every Saturday uh, my dad would put me on the... uh, the tractor with the bush hog and i had to gut, cut the uh cut the grass with the bush hog and it took a few hours this was minimum seven acres of of grass i had to cut well every saturday at 1 p.m nbc's game of the week joe gary's Yola, you know i love baseball It's kind of getting kind of hot out there on this tractor underneath the sun. I need to go in and get myself a glass of sweet tea. So I'd get my tea, and I'd sneak off to a bedroom with a TV, turn on the game of the week, and try and watch. Of course, my dad would be able to outside not hear the tractor going, Wesley, Wesley, where are you? And he'd find me, and he'd always tell me, You've got to keep on keeping on until the job is done well. That's what Jesus is saying when it comes to prayer. Jesus, when he is commanding us to pray, saying, ask, seek, knock, he is saying, keep on keeping on. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking until you have reached the ear of God with your heart. I love what Kent Hughes says about this passage. He says, Ask, seek, knock is the hidden fire of the heart that believes God will answer and values what he gives. But when you don't see answers right away, it can be a bit discouraging. Does God really hear me? Will he answer? Jesus knows we are easily discouraged. So he gave us another short parable in verses 11 through 13 to bolster our confidence in God, to help us to provide a foundation so that we will be encouraged then to ask uh, and seek and knock and keep on doing so. So verses 11 through 13. What father among you If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Parents across the ages have loved to do good things for their children. It's not just the present generation of children that are spoiled Every generation of children are spoiled because parents love doing good things for the the children. You know, if they ask us for egg, we cook them an omelet. Uh, But as as much as we love our children, we also have a lot of self-love as well. We are sinners. We have inborn corruption that persists even in the best of parents. And so Jesus says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more generous will our Heavenly Father be to us? God wants wants to answer our request even more than we want to ask for them. That's why Hebrews 4.16 exhorts us. I noticed Tim uh, used it a couple of times in the children's sermon. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God is our heavenly Father. He loves us more than any earthly parent could ever love their child. He loves to bless His children more than any earthly parent could possibly bless their children. And so we have this confidence, this bold confidence when we approach Him. Because we know that God loves to have an open hand toward His children. In, in First Timothy, um, there's this passage where um, Paul says, "I, I would that, that all men everywhere would pray with, uh, with raised hands. And throughout the history of the church, the reason why the hands are raised or the arms are raised and the hands are open is to say, God, we are ready." for you to fill our hands. We need your blessings. And God's hand is open toward us because his heart is open toward us. Uh, he, He is in heaven continually ready to give us mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Then Jesus concludes with a surprising twist. Our Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Wasn't expecting him to mention the Holy Spirit here. What I think Jesus is doing is he's making an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God delights to give you his Holy Spirit to make your heart his home, then everything you need for life and for godliness will be yours as well. That's what Paul was saying in in Romans chapter 8. If he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in our heart, if he has given us the Holy Spirit, that uh, the Holy Spirit gives us all the benefits that our Lord Jesus purchased for us on the cross, Forgiveness of sins, um, adoption as sons, eternal life. All these blessings are ours because the Holy Spirit has given them to us. He gives us the blessings of Christ. If, if God has given us the Holy Spirit and has given us life and salvation through the Holy Spirit, He's going to give us everything else we, we need. He's going to give us our daily bread. He's going to help us when we are in the midst of temptation. He's going to help us, uh, or He's going to forgive us when, when, we, uh, when we sin against Him. I think that's the argument that, uh, that Jesus is making here. Uh, if God delights to give you His Holy Spirit, everything else you need for life and for godliness, He'll surely give to you. He delights to give to you. I want to make two conclusions as we come to the end of this uh, passage. This passage uh, gives us a promise, or it gives a, a promise to everyone who is willing to ask and seek and knock. The promise is that the door will be opened. And on the other side of that door, you'll find the Lord Jesus and everything He is for us. If you've never sought God, if you've never believed in God, if you have never prayed in your life, there's a promise of a door being opened to you. Everyone who asks in faith will receive. Everyone who seeks Jesus Christ for salvation will find Him. Everyone who knocks on the door of Jesus Christ will go in and be saved. Jesus is telling us, don't shrink away. Go to him. Christ died on the cross for sinners. He suffered once for all for sins. The righteous, he was the righteous one. He suffered for us, the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Why would you not seek him right now? Today is the day of salvation. Second application, if you are not praying, you are not receiving. Maybe God will be gracious and give you things that that you haven't asked for. He certainly is that gracious. But He's telling us in general, James was very clear you do not have because you do not ask. How many blessings from God are you relinquishing? Because you are not praying. Consider how, how much you are missing out on the greatest blessings that God has to offer. Simply because you're neglecting to pray. If you are a believer and prayer is only on the circumference of your life, it likely means that God is only at the circumference of your life as well. If you don't see a need to pray with bold persistence, if you're not devoted to prayer, then it should give you an insight into your spiritual health or lack thereof. But the same promise to an unbeliever is also to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you belong to God, He is your Heavenly Father, you are His dearly loved child. That promise is yours regardless if you haven't prayed in the last ten years. The promise is yours. Ask, seek, knock. The door will be opened as we pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you instructed your disciples to pray. Two thousand years later, having your instruction right in front of us, We still struggle in prayer. Lord, we don't know what to ask. We thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit who helps us. Lord, and we don't know how to pray. And what we often call prayer is less than prayer. I'm reminded of A.W. Pink who says, In his estimation, the the Lord's own people pray more in their efforts to pray than in any other thing they engage in. Lord, forgive us. Fill us with your Spirit. Lord, we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking this morning, asking you to help us to pray. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.